you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. This is another of our popular Listener's Choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Today's chat is Brendan Bergen. Brendan has been with us before. He's come all the way from Ireland, and if you'd like to just go to horsechats.com, search for Brendan, search for Bergen, or just go horsechats.com slash Brendan Bergen. You'll hear his previous chat, and I'm sure you'll get to know him there. And today he's going to talk about 10 ways to develop control of speed over fences. How are you today, Brendan? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. 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 Now, Brendan, I always ask people, why did you come up with this particular subject? What inspired you? You know, did you see that there was a need there to develop control of speed over fences? I suppose there's there's two things that brought me to it. Number one is I've got two clients at the moment mm-hmm. of horses that are having problems with, I suppose, rushing or just that they can't get the horse to come to the right spot in the fence. And I started thinking about what I say to them and why I say it to them. Yep. And the other thing is I think there's a big misconception out there about the elements needed to um, get horses over fences. Like the old thing was, if in doubt, kick on. Yes. But I often think you're better off to say, if in doubt, maybe wait mm-hmm. and see what happens. Because horses are really good at figuring out stuff because through their evolution, figuring out stuff kept you alive. Yep. Whereas if you didn't figure it out, you were dinner. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I suppose that's what I think. And I use, I suppose I got a set of parameters that I use that help to control those things okay okay so do you want to talk about the parameters yeah um i suppose i use a set of 10 things that mm-hmm. come from william Micklem, yep. and they're called the constants and the variables and um i found it a really good framework for training horses um over and above the traditional um german training scale which okay. i find somewhat limited so his constants go there's five of them. So the first is acceptance. And he subs in acceptance instead of submission because he thinks that the horse has to have mental acceptance of the rider's aids, which lead to trust and partnership. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, the next one on that is is calmness. So um, the horse being free from mental tension, which allows them to, if you suppose, hear clearly what we're saying. Mm-hmm. Forwardness which is the horse taking you somewhere that you're not carrying the horse around, which is obviously key coming down to a fence, no matter what size it is. Yes. Straightness, which is, I think, a term that's bandied around a lot, but without actually explaining what it means. To me, I think of it like um, a two-wheel bike. Um, The back wheels have to be following the front wheels. Otherwise, you've got problems with propulsion. So if you think of yourself on your bike, 
if your front wheel is turning and you want to be going straight, you're in trouble. Yep. Um, and then the last one on the constants is purity, which is the correct, natural, regular sequence of footfalls. So in dressage, one of the things that I suppose you see a lot of is that um, the walks get broken yep. because people are so obsessed with getting the horse into a specified posture mm-hmm. that they lose that natural gait. And in show jumping, there's a lot of, um, I suppose, neck manipulation that happens, which causes the horse to push their weight um, downhill rather than sitting on their hocks. So the idea of the constants is that they're there all the time mm-hmm. um, and we're blending them all the time. Yep, yep. Then the next sort of set of, of um, parameters is the variables, which are things that we um, put in and out in varying degrees at all times. So the first is direction, which is obviously where are we going? So knowing your per- precise route, having a plan. And um, next is speed, which is how fast are we going? Um, so going slower, going faster. Next is impulsion, which is uh, available energy. It sometimes is defined as energy from the back end, but I think of it as energy that's available. So a horse that is like a bouncing ball is really hard to ride. And equally a horse that um, won't move is really hard to ride because the energy is not there. Yep. Um, balance is next, which is the distribution of weight. And I always think of that as dynamic equilibrium. So obviously just in front of the fence, we need the horse to load the front legs completely so the hind legs can jump through and push off the ground. Yes. So you have to allow them to lift their head enough mm-hmm. that they can push into those front legs and then jump through the hind legs and push over the fence. And then the final thing is, I suppose, is uh, a hark back to Andrew McLean's. It's timing and the correct use of transitions and releasing pressure at the right moment. And what's interesting about that one is I watched um, An- um, Angelo Teleton yes. at ISIS, um, with him at ISIS in mm-hmm. Canada. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about the incorrect release of pressure um, coming up to fences, that when horses stop, we always release the rain. Um, okay. And it was just really interesting to hear his thoughts on how we need to train uh, show jumpers. Yes, yes. So that's sort of the 10 parameters that I'm using when I'm looking at horses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What did Andrew actually say? Did he say, uh, sorry, not Andrew, uh, Angelo Tellison, did he say about release of pressure? I mean, I know you said not to, but. What he what he did was he said it's really hard, like if a horse say stops yep. to do, like, because we're trying to survive, so we're trying to stay on. So yes, yes. What, um, what he said to do is to set up exercises that stretch the moment of approach. So he uses um, sort of like canter poles coming in. So the jump, in a sense, starts at the first canter pole. Okay, so yes. if you hit that first canter pole right, mm-hmm. you're never going to have a problem with the jump. So it's, it's, it's about getting the horse thinking about um, going forward over the jump, that we're not poking and prodding at them at yep. the last moment. Yep. Because that happens a lot. You'll stand there at a jump, show jump ring and watch people and they're hawking at the horse as they come to the fence or they're booting the horse forward yes. when at that point in my opinion the job should be done mm-hmm. you should be just sitting mm-hmm. there and enjoying the ride at that point yep 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 okay no he's got some great insights he's been a guest on our show and you know everything he said was just brilliant so 
Yeah, I, I've I've been in contact with him. I've been starting. Um, you're probably familiar with his rope ring. Yes. I've been started my some of my young stock with mm-hmm. the rope ring, and just it's really interesting to. Um, it, it was actually after listening to the horse chats and you to evaluate the training and make sure that our training is good. And my trained horse um, goes really well in the rope ring. Yep. And the young stock, it's about stitching it together really well. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's so interesting. And it's changed the way I look at how I use the bridle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think his training method is going to open some eyes, you know, just the whole getting the horse going around a show jumping course without the bridle, you know, and the steps towards no, it. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we get on to our chat, which is 10 ways to develop control of speed over fences. And the first one you've got is unbalanced horses rush. Yeah. So what I always think of when I see horses that are coming in too fast into um, into a fence, I think of them like motorbikes. If you imagine you were trying to jump a motorbike over a fence, even if you had a ramp in place, you've got really limited options um, if they're taking over and towing you in there, mm-hmm. you've got you've got nothing that you can do, and it's all coming out of momentum instead of out of balance. So if I kind of just jump back towards the constants and variables, they mean development in the forwardness, the straightness, the purity, the balance, and the impulsion. Yes. So you've got to make sure all of those things are under stimulus control, so that you can make sure that you can um, come into the fence at the right rate. And the other person I actually want to quote here is um, Conor McGregor, who you may or may not be familiar with. He's an MMA fighter. Okay. And what he says is that precision beats strength every time. And I think that about getting horses to come into fences at the right rate, if they come in at the right rate, they've got very little to do. Yep. As do we. Yep. So I suppose it's one of the biggest things I see is riders rushing horses or horses learning to rush from being rushed. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had to write down that precision breed strength. <laughs> you know, I get some key points. Yeah. Oh no, it's, it's I think I think he he's a most obnoxious person, but <laughs> some of what he says makes a lot of sense. Yep. 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 Okay. All right. Now the next point you've got is horses need to move evenly forward into each rein. Yeah. Okay. So um I think of when you jump a show jump course, yep. you've got to turn right and you've got to turn left. And if the horse likes turning right um, and doesn't like turning left or you haven't developed that in them. It means that instead of having a front door and a back door to a fence, you've got windows on either side. And you want to always think that the horse is going in the front door of the house and going out the back door of the house and mm-hmm. going over the fence. Yep. And feeling the straightness has to be a huge priority. And I, I think of it in two ways. I go, you've got to feel the shoulders and the way to do that is with your two thighs and your two hands so if you feel them even in the contact and even in your thighs you know they're going to come straight and through and over and it's all about developing your straightness your purity your balance and your impulsion and you've got to make sure that that's even mm-hmm. good and it's one of those things that it comes down to the flat work like my mare for example loves to turn right but we're always working to develop the left turn mm-hmm. because She'd rather drop that shoulder and fall around yep. than keep it up and come around. Whereas when you turn right, she just turns perfectly right always and always has since day one. Yep, yep. 
Okay, the next thing you've got is about quality transitions. We want smoothly train trot to halt, canter halt, walk canter, trot to canter. Yeah. So um, I think a lot of the time um, when we start to go in and start jumping, um, we forget about the fact that this is, you know, this is dressage mm-hmm. with obstacles. Yep. So you've got to make sure that if you, as soon as you sit back and tell the horse, come back to me, they should slide back to you. It shouldn't be a case of you having to extract their back molars to get them to come back to you. So if you train them smoothly through clarity, like we, I, every time I get on every horse, I do halt step backs until I feel with me. Then yep. I trot on, I do some trot to halts and again, make sure they're with me. Few canter halts, make sure they're with me. And then I just keep moving up and down the gears because if you don't have that gearing, um, you don't have the acceptance of the horse. Mm-hmm. And it means that you're always on the back foot trying to keep the wheels on the wagon instead of sort of letting the horse look after the wheels being on the wagon, yep. pushing the controls. Yep, yep. All right, now we're talking about now rider problems. We've got first up overriding or pushing too much. Yeah. Um, I think I think that that is probably um, the, the biggest problem at a, at a novice level Okay. Is that the rider's coming down to the fence and they haven't seen the stride. Like there's lots of people say you shouldn't see the stride or whatever, but you've got to feel like you're coming down to a stride or they're not looking at the fence early enough Mm -hmm. and they can feel that it's wrong. And instead of sort of letting the horse sort it out, getting involved and they're pushing and pushing and pushing. And one of those um, riders I was talking about that I'm teaching at the moment who has a horse that has a problem with rushing, one of the biggest problems they have is that if she feels she's off the stride, she'll push her and push her and push her and push her. Mm-hmm. And that loads the shoulder and then the horse stops. Yep. Whereas if you apply the same circumstance and she just sits there, the horse will nearly always jump. Okay. Even if she's on the wrong stride. Yep, yep. Yep. And I think that it's it's the last minute getting in there and doing it. Like the last three strides, you should have all your work done. Okay. Um, if you're doing something in those last three strides, it's too late. And it's about coming back and developing your forwardness, developing the speed and developing the impulsion so the horse can come smoothly and fluently down to the fence without having to make a last minute change. Because, mm-hmm. again, if you think of, again, I always think think back to horses being prey. When you sort of start making them move erratically, I think you fire up that prey sense in their brain and you develop a fear coming down to the fence. Yep, yep. What about the riders that overhold? Yeah, um, you see it. I think this is more, you move into sort of the more advanced rider, if you like, market on this. And it seems to be the big thing and it's the thing that's talked about is, you know, checking. Yep. You know, you got to check them. and. Yeah, you've got to make sure you sit the balance back onto the back legs mm-hmm. to make sure that they're going to be able to push up, especially if you're talking about jumping bigger fences. But again, if you're having to aggressively check them, um, it means, again, that you're disrupting that rhythm, that forwardness, that speed and impulsion coming down to the fence. And it means that all that fluency that you've been training in your flat work mm-hmm is all just, you've wasted your time. Okay. 
And I think that you, you see it a lot with riders, again, who haven't looked at the fence. Like my, my trainer, John, John Mulvey, he's always saying to me that, just look at the fence. If you look at the fence, your body will naturally modulate the speed if you just keep looking at it. Because you're always automatically looking for the stride to prevent yourself getting dead. Yep. You know what I mean? You're looking to try and see that stride coming down, especially once you get to a certain level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think overholding or you know checking is a huge, huge problem. Okay. In, as you sort of you go from your you know seven years towards your meters, and particularly your teenage um, people, because yep. they want to feel they're in control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, from one one problem almost to another. Exactly. Yeah. But like it's yeah. it's. Riding is is the I suppose the art of moderation. Mm-hmm. When you go to either extreme, you have a problem. Whereas when you stay in that middle ground where you can tip one way or tip the other mm-hmm. in a much better okay. position to have a reasonable conversation yep. with the horse. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look horsechats.com. Tell us about training the waiting stride then. Yeah, I suppose one of the biggest issues I see is that um, riders having to sort of hold. um, And I think that the big thing is that the horse has to wait with you Mm -hmm. rather than you holding holding the horse. So one of the best examples of of a person who does that is a guy called Michel Robert uh, or Michael Roberts. He's a a French show jumper. And he just has an amazing, um, I suppose, rapport with his horses where they wait with him. He sits tall and they come back and he has a lovely just softness. And they, I think if you can train your horse to wait with you. So when, what I mean when I say that is that when you're cantering on the flat, that you can steady the horse back and then release the rein to give the horse space to stay in that stride. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important that... When you're coming down to a fence, you need to be able to just let the horse go and they just stay with you and then you close the leg and then they pop up and over. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that um, is hard to train because when you're coming down to the fence, it's really tempting as a human to get involved. And I think if you can just train the horse to take over that role that you say, this is the speed and let them sit there, it's really good. Mm-hmm. And it comes sort of back to Andrew McLean's sort of training idea of cruise control the horse should stay in the pace we put them in until we put them into another one all right all right we'll talk about that a little bit more but before that the quality hind leg action yeah well what i've noticed over the years is that like people every horse has a dominant hind leg yep um and it's often manifested if you jump back to the idea of even in each rain to Mm -hmm. uneven rain contact so if you find, say, your horse is always um, light in your right hand, it's possible that that right hind leg isn't pushing up underneath. Um, and I've started doing a few interesting things with um, tail bandages. So I have one uh, one client with a horse who has a very weak hind leg. Mm-hmm. So what we do is in the warm-up, I put the tail bandage around that hind leg and up to the girth. Not tight, but there's plenty of elastic in it. And yeah. what it does is it gets that hind leg pushing underneath. Okay. And that horse was always landing disunited um, in the right canter after fences. And if I put on that tail bandage for like five minutes while we're just trotting and cantering in, 
the horse first off looks nearly lame. Mm. And then once they start using that hind leg, there's no problem with the horse becoming disunited. And again, I'm not saying to any of the listeners to go out and stick the, the tail bandage on. It's something that I've developed over quite a long time is using tail bandages to do to do a job. But the point is that when that hind leg started working better with that horse, the horse stopped taking down the top rail yep. and also started landing united. So it made it much easier for her to make the distances, whereas mm, she would mm. have previously had a problem. Yes. And this is that same horse that has the problem with stopping, that it comes careering down to the fences. And since we've started, you know, activating that right hind leg, the rushing reduces and the um, quality of the jump is improved. So mm, it comes back mm. to that idea that unbalanced horses rush. So now that she's more balanced, she doesn't rush. Now we can talk about the cruise control because, you know, we've we've had Andrew on the show a couple of times. So he's saying that you ask your horse to do whatever pace, whatever, and the horse just stays there. You don't have to keep exactly. nagging it and pushing it and everything else. And I think you're sort of carrying on with that idea here, aren't yeah, you? Well, I, I have to admit, I, I believe I'm building on, building on the shoulders of giants because um, I have a huge amount of respect for what Andrew has to say and Andrew yes. and Andrew uh, or Angelo uh, Tellison and... Mm-hmm all those sort of people. And I'm always trying to see how I can understand what they're saying better. So what I think of with cruise control is a little di- a little bit of a different spin on what Andrew says. I think that you have to develop your horse's uh, consistent home stride pattern, which should be uh, on a 12-foot canter. Okay. So your horse should naturally want to be in that 12-foot canter if you want to show jump successfully. Because mm-hmm. that's what all the distance are distances are set on. Yep. And you need to be able to push them on in that from that stride pattern and bring them back a little bit from that stride pattern. But you want the horse to always be returning to that. And it gives you that development of a default regular forward going stride. Mm-hmm. Whereas yep. I think lots of the time you can see people uh, shutting down their strides. I'm one of them. Um, I have to always think of opening the stride. And then you've got other people um, who are overriding and pushing their stride too big. And it's about modulating that into being that moderate, keeping the horse in that 12-foot canter. Mm -hmm. Some horses have a natural 12-foot cruisy canter. Other horses have to stretch for it. So one of my horses has to stretch to make the 12-foot canter natural. And then I've got another horse who is a natural probably 14-foot canter. So I'm always trying to bring that back a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think, so that's my idea of cruise control is to have a default canter. Yep, yeah, yep, good, good. Now you talked a little bit before about um, the horse coming in, you know, you've done your job, but the next point you've got is allowing the horse to come to the fence unhindered. Yeah. Okay, so I suppose... The big thing I, I I was very taken one day when I was having a lesson with William, William Micklem, and he said to me that, remember that a still load is easy, easier to carry than a wobbly moving load. And it was when I was sort of doing too much before the fence and doing too much over the fence. We were jumping um, one of my young horses over, probably about 70 centimetres. Yep. And I was folding like we were jumping the Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. And I was also, you know, doing the whole checking um, thing coming in. And the last few strides, I think, you have to let the horse think. 
So you've got to be as still and with the horse as possible. But for those last three strides, if you've set that canter and got that default cruisy canter coming down, then the horse can look after it all. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you should come down to the fence and do nothing. But what I'm saying is that lots of the time we don't sort the canter out until we're on the final approach. And if you've if you've sorted the canter well before the final approach, you just sit there. Okay. And then the horse comes down and will ping up over the fence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I suppose that's what I'm sort of getting at. And yep. It's just about all the time developing the base units of movement, which are obviously your speed and your direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about the last point you've got here, letting go? I think once you've developed your speed and mm-hmm. developed an ability to change direction without having to use aversive pressures, the horse can be um, in a way alone in their own head because mm-hmm. we are we like to think ourselves as this team jumping. But in the end of the day, there's only one creature that actually jumps the fence and that's the horse. Yep. So if we're in their ear nagging away at them um, and not letting them jump naturally, mm-hmm. then they can't really do it to their best quality. And I see that in my own teaching. If you set someone up and say, right, here's what I want you to go and do. Go and do it and we'll talk afterwards. I'd say about 95% of the time, the person will do it better than when you shout leg or turn. or Ah, okay. Yes. And I think horses are the same. The more we can give them the framework to do what they need to do, the better they can do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think that's good. I've made so many notes here, Brendan. I've, I've just lots and lots. I know we'll go and check out the YouTube, the uh, Michael Roberts, the French show jumper. Yeah. And much better to see an image, isn't it? You know, if you can Absolutely. see here, someone here doing. Someone. Yeah, 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 the the waiting stride. And I think the tail bandage on the weak legs, I'm sure our listeners aren't just going to race out and do it, not, not go to an experienced coach or an experienced person who would know how to do that and how to do it correctly. But I think, Brendan, if someone would does want to talk to you about that exercise or about anything you've said what's the best way to contact you um best way to contact me is by email which okay. is info at bergenequine.com yep um and if you go to the website bergenequine.com you'll find all the other ways to contact me but email is the best because ringing me is a problem because i'm usually in the middle of doing something <laughs> um but if you email me i'll call you back okay okay and um, i just have one final thought um, before we finish up sure um, when I, I teach a lot of um, kids and I always say to them that there are four elements of good riding one number one is look and plan mm-hmm. number two is speed number three is direction and number four is position or form and what I always say to them is without looking there's no point in planning and without planning there's nothing to look at so anytime you're going to jump Make sure that above everything else that you look at the jump you're going to do and have a plan for how you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. Because without that, you leave the fate of your jumping to chance rather than to train. Okay. Okay. Good advice. 
All right, Brendan, again, you know, so much information, so much to um, digest. I'm sure that people will come back and listen to this one a couple of times just to go back and get all the tips and um, all your information, just everything that you've said. It's been brilliant. So thank you, and um, we hope to get you on again sometime soon. Thanks very much. Okay, good to talk to you, Brendan. Bye-bye. Bye for now. Now, if you're still there, you probably know that I'm absolutely passionate about education within the horse industry. That's why I host this podcast. My other venture is Online Horse College. Have a look now at onlinehorsecollege.com and I'll see you over there. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.